Welcome to The Get Together, Together, a show about the nuts and bolts of community building. I'm your host, Bailey Richardson, a community researcher. I'm Kevin Huynh, Bailey's other community researcher, sidekick, brother from another mother, business partner. Best friend in the whole world. Best friend in the whole world, et cetera, et cetera. We were born in the same hospital. We fun, were born in the same hospital. Fun anecdote. If only it wasn't one year apart. I have this image of us like high-fiving as babies. And our just parents saying, fist pumping, our moms fist like, pumping. see you in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back into it here. Uh, Okay. So each episode, Kevin and I are going to interview people we admire who have built thriving communities and ask them just how they did it. How did they get those first people to show up? How did they get hundreds more, thousands more over the years? Today, we're talking to one of my community building idols, Gavin Preter-Pinney, who lives in Somerset, England. Gavin is the special sauce behind the Cloud Appreciation Society. It's a global community of more than 40,000 paying members who bond over a shared devotion to the clouds. In our conversation, we'll learn how Gavin found his first members one day, haphazardly in 2005, and what he's done to spread the society to people around the world for the last 13 years. Kev, you were there with Mm -hmm. me on the phone Mm -hmm. with Gavin. Mm -hmm. What stood Mm -hmm. out to you about him? Gavin's vibe. I mean, that that's what stuck out to me most. I think I couldn't have designed a better individual, I believe, to start a cloud appreciation society. You know, I was curious where the sort of appreciation for clouds came from. Was it like meteorological curiosity? Was it like sort of scientific or was it like just visual? I love how clouds look. Um, and I, I think for him, he truly just appreciates what clouds look like and maybe kind of represent and mm-hmm. you know in addition to that he's funny he's creative he but he still has this like light cloudy ethereal <laughs> I, it's just i really enjoyed sort of his presence and i feel like as a sort of a shepherd for this community um from what i've read about the cloud appreciation society i can see his voice coming through and yeah. i think it's a wonderful voice to um really bring together cloud appreciators Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the fun things. I don't think he started it intending for it to be a business down the line. You know, it was like just a wild idea and it really caught on and he's continuing to be playful with it all the way through. And that was, it was just really fun to hear about. So let's get straight to it. Here's Gavin. We called him uh, up in Somerset, England. Hi, Gavin. Hi, Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I think the first way I just like to start this conversation is I'm not sure if you're a James Baldwin fan, but he has this quote that we love. He says, fires can't be made with dead embers, nor can enthusiasm be stirred by spiritless men. And I think it really gets at this point that, you know, passion comes from passion. Enthusiasm comes from enthusiasm, yeah. comes from enthusiasm. So just tell me what got you so excited about clouds in the beginning and how did you realize this was something that other people were also excited about? Funnily enough, it was because people complain about them that I knew they were interesting. I mean, if everyone thought clouds were nice, then it's sort of obvious a cloud appreciation society makes sense when it's kicking back against something. And that is, you know, I always felt that 
clouds in the sky was amazingly beautiful part of nature and one which because it's always there in the background we can kind of become blind to but I was interested in starting a society because I thought there are lots of people who they notice the clouds but only in a negative way here in the UK we've got a lot of cloud we get a lot of low cloud and many people feel the unpredictability of the weather means they just sort of associate it with ruining their barbecues and things like that. So people have these negative associations with the sky. So for me, there's something interesting there. You know, that is more than just, I like the sky. I think the sky is a beautiful part of nature. The fact that it's this underappreciated part of nature means that there's a sort of reason for the society to exist, which is a reminder for people to look at this everyday aspect of the world and see the positive in it, not just kind of have a knee-jerk reaction to the negative. It's something that children seem to naturally do. And then as they grow older, they seem to learn this association of the clouds as being the things that get in the way between us and the life-giving force of the sun. That's one way of looking at them, but it's a very sort of one-dimensional way of looking at the sky and looking at the clouds. Mm. So to me, anything's interesting when there are kind of almost an equal number of people for and against. That means that there's a kind of debate. It's a nice way of having people feel they're together by differentiation. Uh, And so often that's used in a negative sense, that human urge to be are you in my group or are you not in my group that's used in a divisive way in so many cases but I saw that you know there's a way of using that in a positive sense as well absolutely I love that you use that word reason I think that seems to be one of the core things that distinguishes a sort of an intentional community from maybe just the friends you meet at school or your family or perhaps your job. Did you see with the first people who came to the group that there was a strong understanding and alignment with you on that they were indeed advocates and there was something that they were sort of almost fighting for for clouds? Yeah, I think it was um, certainly when the website first launched January 2005 and you know I just got a book I had to make a website and I did it in Dreamweaver and it was really kind of rubbish in many senses but the part that resonated for people was the images and the photo gallery and it really became apparent to me very quickly that They weren't rushing out right now and taking pictures and sending them in. They had lots of pictures that they'd taken previously, you know, on their machines, which they were sending in. And I really got the impression that they'd been showing these to their friends. Look at these pictures of the sky and their friends would be going, yeah, 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 whatever. And finally, they felt like they'd found somewhere where people were actually interested to (laughs) to see these photos. So they came flooding in. And I do think that that was one of the aspects. There was a luck element in terms of it picking up early on. And that was just a technology thing of, you know, easy digital photography initially from um, small digital cameras and, of course, from smartphones. 
ease with which they're sending those images in, mm-hmm. even if they were doing it through in a clunky way of sending them through email. But those sort of things coincided with the start of the society. And it's a great thing to take pictures of, as I'm sure you know from Instagram, there are probably billions of sky-related Instagram images because, you know, there's something that feels very right about taking a picture of the sky. And the reason is that the sky being in constant change means that any moment that you see it, you know is passing, it's fleeting, and you know that, therefore, to take a picture of it at that moment, it's marking something. Do you know what I mean? Marking something that's in transition. So there's this kind of feeling that it's right. You know, you see something great, you know that it's going to be gone in a couple of seconds. So to take a picture of it feels sort of like you've noticed it. It's like a kind of announcement, in visual announcement that you've paid attention mm-hmm. to the sky. So yeah. I think in many senses, it just fitted that whole idea of here's somewhere interested in pictures of the sky. I've been taking them for a long time. It feels right to send them in. Yeah, this like desire for people who have noticed something that is beautiful or positive or meaningful to have that noticing experience be shared or seen by someone else is sort of at the core. Yes. People think of membership of the society as a badge or like a pin. I mean, we, we do, of course, give people a pin, an enamel badge when they join, but in a kind of more theoretical sense or metaphorical sense, people think of the society as something they like to sort of wear and tell other people about mm. because it has a very clear why, the society, which is to open people's eyes to this aspect of nature, which is the most dynamic and evocative and poetic part of nature, but also one of the most underappreciated. Everyone appreciates a sunset, but that's almost sort of too easy. There are lots of bits in between (laughs) that people miss. So um, the sort of why of the society is quite clear. And in fact, it's embedded in the name, which is another reason why the society spread very easily, I think, Mm -hmm. because you don't need to have it to explain to you too much. But the fact that people think it says something about them is why they wanted to tell their friends about it. And I think what it's, people feel it says about them is that they have a particular view on the sky and they notice things which most people don't. So it's that idea that you're kind of defining yourself by what you're not. I think is a really important part of all human community it's as much defined by you know who you're not as it is defined by who you are. And that happens also with the concept in the, of the website and everything. I knew that there's just no point in doing a website that's about the weather because in the age of Google, the more broad your idea or what you represent, the more narrow your audience becomes. Mm-hmm. And the more focused the idea of what you are and what you represent ironically, the broader your audience becomes. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, right from the start, I kind of joked about this and said, you know, we've got a forum on the website and you're welcome to talk about anything on the forum as long as it's to do with clouds. Otherwise, we're not interested. And being really sort of focused about it, it was a way to be funny, but it was also a way to mean that 
everyone knew exactly what you were representing, exactly why you were there, and they knew exactly which part of them was going to resonate with this or not. Absolutely. I think that clarity is so important and so refreshing. And, and one thing that I also want to ask you about is, you know the why, this reason that we've been talking about appreciating clouds and seeing things slightly differently perhaps than other people is such an important reason why people joined the society and often many other communities. One hunch that Kevin and I have is that the who is also very important. The people you start with, they have to really, really get that. I'm just curious, maybe can you take us through that first group of people? How did you get from, you know, society member one, which was you, to the first, you know, just 50 or 100? Who were those people? And, uh, you know, where did you find them and connect with them? The very first people were when I gave a talk. A friend of mine started a literary festival down in the southwest of England in Cornwall as part of the southwest of England. And she asked if I would do a talk about clouds because she was looking for speakers at the festival. And uh, I hadn't written a book or anything and I hadn't started a society or or I was just a friend of hers. But I said, oh, sure, I'll, I'll do a talk about clouds. And And then the society really emerged from that. The name of the talk I made, just this sort of whimsical idea, I called it the inaugural lecture of the Cloud Appreciation Society, just because I thought it sounded like an intriguing name for a talk. I didn't have any real plan to start a society. It was a sort of experimental idea, really. I did do badges, little tin badges, which I gave out at the end of the talk. And there was a oh, kind of lots great. of... Oh, I didn't yeah. think that. So there's an yeah. original, like, 50 badges out there with a few people. Yeah. That's right. And I got, I borrowed a badge, one of those sort of metal press tin badge making machines from a friend and sort of made a bunch of them in the days before the talk. And um, can I ask quickly why I want to keep hearing about the who, but why did you make badges so soon? Because I thought I wanted it to be funny. Um, and I dressed up in a, um, like a lab coat because I wanted it to sort of be like a a weird lecture, you know, the inaugural lecture. And so I was sort of putting on a kind of act in some senses, telling people about the different formations in a kind of lecture way. But I also wanted it to be something where people kind of got something at the end. And like, are you with us or are you against us? You know, that, that kind of idea. I think it was just an intuitive feeling about the fact that some people hate them um, and some people love them. And I wanted to precipitate that feeling of, are you in with us? Do you think the way I do or do you do you hate this? And it was partly me being a bit nervous about whether anyone would come and whether people did want to hear about clouds, do you know what I mean? Or whether they were like, God, that sounds depressing. I don't want to hear that. Looking back on it now, what I was doing was trying to find a sort of physical way of saying, do you see the world in this way or not? Mm -hmm. And if you do, come up at the end and get your badge. Mm. And then it was like there was a stampede. They all, um, so firstly, the talk was totally full. The intriguing name, worked and anyway when you give something away for free 
people always want it. So when I was giving them away at the end, something free but valuable, I think is the. <laughs> is yeah, the that's right. And also, so I mean, I mean, it, it did precipitate the actual society because people said, "Great, I'm joining. How do I join?" And I'm like, uh, I don't know, you've got a badge, isn't that enough? And it's like, no, I mean, you know, how do I become a proper member? And I was like, okay, um, yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. It was not a very me thing to do because although I did think about the practicalities, like I made these badges and things like that, I didn't really think about the consequences beyond that, like whether it really should be a society. I was thinking of it as an idea, like a way of doing the talk and a funny thought. Looking back again, I realized that sometimes interesting ideas happen when you're in a, a kind of lighthearted frame of mind. And if you think them through, you'd kind of maybe not do it because I was initially just thinking of it as a talk. And then it starts to take on its own momentum. The people are enthusiastic and they all said they wanted to join. So I was like, oh God, I should start something. And then I did the website and it got picked up quite early on so you did you do anything with those people who came up to get the badges like did you grab their email addresses or yeah. you know what was that I, space in between I took their email addresses yeah I think I, I, think I did that yeah. um and I basically said yeah you know you're all members initially if someone wanted to be a member they didn't pay anything if you added my own money I sent them a badge and I sent them a certificate with their name on it and a number. I did a kind of trip to Australia to see this weird cloud formation that forms there. And the guy there told me, this was around the time of starting the society, the guy there told me, you've got to give people a number. People pretend that they're not a number. They don't want to be a number. Everyone, but actually people love being a number and make the kind of membership number a big part of it so I sort of knew early on that yeah having a number actually shows you're sort of part of something so that was on the certificate so people got sent that you know looking back it's like a classic way of building up a community but I hadn't really thought it through initially I was just like this is a funny idea I'm just going to send people badges and I send them a certificate cost of a stamp I just printed them out on my color printer and mm -hmm. um made the yeah. website was right away was sort of the invitation to share photos there was that clear from the beginning or was the website intended for just so, kind of people signing up you know what was that i had a manifesto right from the start and having all this stuff that's very solid which is like a badge and a certificate and a manifesto and a membership number all in support of these things that are so ephemeral and light and airy and momentary and transient the contrast between those things felt like there was sort of humor there do you know what I mean and I like that combination so this having a manifesto and saying why we what we stand up for and why we believe that clouds are something to be appreciated all sort of fitted into that idea of this contrast between the society being this quite strong, forceful, solid campaigning thing and doing it all in support of these very kind of airy ephemeral things. So I did the manifesto really early on. That was a part of the website. The photo gallery was a part of the website. I might have started doing 
people's paintings, when they started sending them in, and people's poetry. So people would email this or submit it yeah. to the website? They'd all email. They'd email stuff in, yeah. And they'd say, hi, you know, I'm really into Klaus too. I'm a landscape painter. Do you want to see some of my paintings? Sure, you know, and then i put those up. I think the community started to grow as a result of people telling people, and it, and it still happens now. If an idea is something that people want to tell people about, then you don't need to do any marketing to kind of build up a reasonably good community um i've never done any advertising for the society really uh, not for kind of just becoming a member um it has all grown by people telling other people um and in order for something to be something that people want to tell other people about it needs to reflect well on them and that's what the society it does at the moment and has all the way through it people feel it reflects well on them because they say you know like i'm saying it says it this shows i look at the world and a slightly different way maybe from many people it shows that i'm sensitive to the natural world it shows that i've got imagination because i can see this aspect of nature has a magical quality to it and if you start looking at the world in this way it represents a little shift in your perspective i want to invite you to shift the way you look at the world like that because there's a number of people over the years who've said to me you know i since i heard your talk or i looked at your book ever since then for the last few weeks i've just been looking at the sky in a slightly different way i've just been noticing it more so that is a great thing because the stimulus the sky is always there mm. the shift required it's very simple because we all thought more like that when we were younger. It's just we sort of drifted away from it. So you're not asking someone to retrain their whole brain in an entirely different way. You're just asking them to sort of peel back a layer that has sort of been placed over the top of perhaps a way that they used to look at the sky. Mm. It's kind of nostalgic element. So those two are important. And then the, the fact that it's very easy to explain to someone else mm. what's going on those all are, were crucial in the growth of the society but it really did require a few bits of luck like yahoo giving it this award for being the best weird and wonderful website in 2005 then that got me on the tv here and then wanted to write a book about clouds or well, the publishers turned it down 28 publishers said no oh. but then once the society was like starting to do well and stuff they went actually oh, listen there's a kind of there's a community here that's growing you know maybe there's maybe it would be a good book after all and so then that ended up le you know, leading to the book you've got to have the sort of setup right but you also have to have some bits of luck with help from the outside and mm -hmm. that definitely was the case but it never resonated in the states when i started mm -hmm. so 12 years ago the first book came out in the states and i just got the feeling that they were like yeah we like the weather in the extreme we're interested in tornadoes and ice storms and hurricanes and those are the things that get on the tv get on the news but the sort of quieter more reflective aspect of what the society represented didn't really resonate then and it does now mm. um, and i think that is possibly a reaction to you know, device culture and the whole rise of mindfulness 
and the need to step away from being uh, on our devices, sort of being engaged with the sky is like lifting your eyes up from looking down at your device. So it's a good way of doing that. So I think that may be one reason why you know, it's in the US that membership is growing most now and it's mm-hmm. resonating um, over there more than it did at the start. I kind of have this hunch that a really great reason, a really great why, exactly as you said, maybe even a very specific one, over time, it can lead you to so many different types of people. Of <laughs> You know, the yeah. who attracted to the why can change if the why is a really beautiful reason. Yeah. One, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is Scott Hefferman, the guy who started Meetup, you know, he said he realized after a while of running the site that they thought people were showing up for the meetup, for the activity, but in reality, they were coming back for the people they met at the Mm. activity. If they show up for the thing, they come back for the people. And I wanted to ask if that had seemed true for the Cloud Appreciation Society. Are you Mm. seeing people make relationships with each other? Is that a part of the experience? It's something that is a real uh, point of tension for me, actually, because it's relatively recently, the last couple of years, that I've started to do trips and gatherings of the society. So the one that John came over and wrote about in that article was in London, and it was a gathering of the society, and people came from different countries and just John Muellam's article that he he wrote for the New York Times now probably three years ago right was that's right the same moment yes okay yes and so he uh, so John Muellam wrote this um profile of the society really and the Cloud Appreciation Society gathering that we put on in London was like a good focus for him to come over and and write about now that was actually the first time that I had done a sort of physical gathering open to everyone. Um, and it was a really great experience. And I was thinking, why haven't I done this before? And since that time, I've done holidays, sky holidays, where we go to uh, a destination and it relates to the sky in some way. And these have generally been about going to see the Northern Lights. Uh, I did a couple in Canada and I did one in Norway. Uh, I've got one coming up in Finland. And each time I did these gatherings, just like you say, what was interesting is people are all there for the subject. So it's the sky and it's the destination that we've gone to. But that was like the invitation that got them out the door. And then once they arrive, the reason they enjoy it yeah, the sky is there and that is a fantastic focus, but really what they're there for is each other. And if you have a society which is quite focused in its why and why it exists, it's quite clear, then everyone gets the feeling that I joined the society and I'm like this and anyone else who joins this society, because it's like quite a specific thing, they're going to be a bit like me. And people like to meet people that, they have stuff in common with. So I think that really has been a big part of these trips and why they've felt really good and 
there's always been a very good vibe. And people say the people they meet on the gatherings of the Cloud Appreciation Society, they're all really interesting people. They're interesting and they um, have an interesting take on the world. So it becomes a self-selecting thing. The type of people who are going to join the Cloud Appreciation Society, they're not the type of people who are going to go and hold up a 7-Eleven. They're the certain type of people who are going to be sensitive and curious about the world. They're going to be the type of people who, the questions that come to mind when they look at the sky, they want to find answers to them. And so they're going to be curious people. So those are all qualities you just know. My experience definitely fits with that, that it's the what is what gets people in through the door and it's the who that makes them want to stick around. The tension is opening it up for more interaction between members. Because at the moment, the society has a strong personality. I feel it's got a pretty good, clear voice. The reason for that is because a lot of the voice comes from me. And that means that I am like a walking bottleneck on the society uh, is the flip side. Uh, And it means the society can't grow and expand and flourish as well as it might if the kind of communication between members was better enabled. This is a kind of little tension for me at the moment is how to open things up A while ago, some people started saying, I want to join, can I start a a chapter, a local chapter of the Cloud Appreciation Society? And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And then I put a a little mention in a newsletter, anyone interested in starting a local chapter? And I had like, I don't know, 100 people say that they wanted to start one. And it was really across different parts of the world. You know, one, someone wanted to start one in India, someone in Reno, Nevada, someone in South Korea, you know, it's all over the place, New Zealand. And I was like, oh, this, this could be great. And then I was thinking, okay, but practically, how does that work? People could kind of get together. But once they start having a chapter, then the chapter, is it its own thing? Or is it a part of the society? Once people start putting on events, then do they represent the society as a whole? And I just got myself in a bit of a sort of tangle about how to enable that and still keep the positive personality of the society kind of intact. Historically, people have looked at the sky for and, you know, had questions and they've looked at the sky for answers. So people could start going off in a direction that I felt what is losing the spirit of the society, you know, and you could get people who are doing the, the chapter in this area doing a conference on you know, government control of the weather to, mm. you know, influence us. And then it's the Cloud Appreciation Society in Reno, Nevada, in small brackets. Do you see what I mean at the bottom? And then I, so uh, maybe it was paranoid, but that whole thing, I feel a tension between wanting to keep what's special about the society, which is the personality of it, and also wanting to open it up. That's where, that's the tension, really. I was going to say, I'm absolutely in. Kevin, who is here, kind of dealt with very similar things, having Creative Mornings start as something in New York and then end up in all these different cities. So I was just, Kevin was nodding as he was hearing you speak. Mm. Is this something you're still interested in? Because 
uh, sure. the idea of having local chapters because one of the themes um, that we see across different communities is that, you know, really building up the community and, and making sure it can thrive and live for a very long time um, isn't about, you know, maniacally managing the community. It's about cultivating leaders within the community right. and really, yeah. you know, giving away ownership and that can be scary. You know, there's that spectrum of control where yeah. uh, people will damage this brand, but then it can also result in some of the most magical things that you could not come up with, you know, yeah. so is this still of interest? Cause totally. it sounds like, like a wonderful experiment to me that sort of would even further the purpose of, the Cloud Appreciation Society to open even more people's eyes. The desire to do that is there. You know, I'd love to talk more about that at some other point. The tension I feel is precisely that. I feel the society could be so much more if everything didn't have to go through me. All the way through, I've done everything. I've designed the stuff myself. I've written the books. I've done the TV programs, done the talks, and... That's all very well up to a point, and then it just can't go any further. There's only so much that can happen if it all goes through the one funnel like that, that one kind of bottleneck. And I really feel now it should have grown beyond that. Enabling people to do stuff themselves and have their own gatherings is a way to kind of take things forward. And I think it just requires a bit of a shift in my thinking. Like you say, it's relinquishing control and realizing that that means you can't quite control the voice of the society in the same way. But it also means that the voice of the society can go in different directions that you can't conceive of on your own. Yeah, yeah I could imagine if, if you could find... 10, 20 other people with the same amount of humor and insight that you have to speak maybe more locally to people near them, how powerful that could be. It's an age-old thing, isn't it? You're focused on communities, how they grow, how you enable them to grow, how you give them energy. In the digital world, that's possible more to happen more rapidly than ever. But the age-old issues remain the same, which is if you define yourself by we're like this and we're not like that, then as you allow lots of different kind of groups to emerge independently, that kind of line of what, who you are and who you're not starts to become much more blurry. And the more blurry that line becomes, in a way, the less vibrant is the why of your society slightly. Do you know what I mean? At least that's the danger, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I see that. And I also see too, I think, of all the communities that we have looked at or studied in speaking with you today, it's very clear to me that you're excellent at communicating the why. You've done such an amazing job of it from the very beginning. And so I think that the why you have is not only beautiful and resonant, but you're very good at showing it to other people. So mm -hmm. I might have some faith in your ability to really convey that personality, that approach, and see how other people could maybe mimic it, but with mm -hmm. their own little, little flavor. Um, but I, I suppose yeah. just to say that I think you have a very deep skill in presenting that for people and offering it to them for them to then kind of take and work with instead of um, 
totally reinventing the wheel. I think I would just be like, this guy Gavin at headquarters really has the voice figured out. So I'm going to copy him. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, looking back, what we were saying at the start about the beginning of the society with the start of the society was me standing up and giving a talk and changing people's minds. Do you know what I mean? It's slightly how I, what I felt I was trying to do is change people's minds. And uh, I guess I, I felt the same with getting the first book published so all the publishers 28 publishers said no and then i had managed to get an agent for some reason it hadn't been too difficult to get an agent although no one wanted to publish it and and the agent then one said he said look there's this one guy he said no as well and i was like oh yeah surprise surprise and he said here's his email and the email sounded like he was a bit unsure in his no he said sorry I don't want to publish your book I mean I quite like it but other people in the publishing company didn't think it was going to sell or whatever it was and I said yeah he doesn't sound too sure he sounds a bit uncertain maybe we should go in and see him and then when I met the guy in the publishing house and I talked to him about it then it just went really easily. The persuading or the kind of getting someone who thinks this way and getting them to then think that way and for that shift to feel like something natural for them yeah. and to feel like something positive for them. That's the enjoyable part of it. And so that is, in a way, what's informed and given a personality to the society, that whole idea of the manifesto and this kind of campaigning element and doing it in a way that's fun and funny is going to be much more influential than doing it in a way that's serious and heavy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's welcomed in in that way. You know, I I wanted to ask you for the final question along those lines of you're talking about some of the most enjoyable parts of the experience for you. I was just hoping you might share, you know, a moment when you really felt in your core what the Cloud Appreciation Society has brought you in your life. Was there an experience or a moment where really you felt the weight of what you'd built? Could you share an experience like that? Well, the public one would be when this cloud classification that we proposed through the society became official. So back nine years ago, maybe, I kind of threw out there this idea that um, maybe we need a new type of cloud because of all these images that had been sent in to the society from around the world. Ones kept coming in that were these weird wavy clouds. They looked like sort of you're underneath the surface of the ocean looking up on a really turbulent day. And I just felt that they didn't fit in with the existing kind of Latin terms that we have. And I thought, maybe we need a new term. Uh, Maybe we need a new kind of cloud type to call these ones. And then that sort of worked through the system. And eventually, it's a long story that I won't bother going into now, but eventually in 2017, which is last year, it became this new cloud type when the World Meteorological Organization accepted it as the first kind of new classification of cloud since 1951. So what's that was like name? a... What's that? What's its name? Its name is Asperitas. Mm. A-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S. It means roughness in Latin, and it was used in context of talking about the sea. Virgil, the Latin poet, 
uh, Roman poet used it to talk about the sea. You know, that's the obvious one. Like, look what it's kind of resulted in. This has come from people all around the world. They're not cloud experts, but they know when the sky looks amazing, mm. take a picture and they know where to send it. And that gives this new perspective on the sky. You know, when we first put up satellites that could photograph our atmosphere from above, we got this new perspective on the sky, which revolutionized our ability to forecast storm systems, to track storms and weather systems as they progressed across the globe. Well, now we're in an age of another shift in perspective, which is one that's distributed amongst people looking at the sky from below and enabled through technology. These cloud formations that we gave a new name to, they're not something related to climate change. They're not some new thing that's never been around. They're just a pattern mm. which we hadn't noticed before. You know, when you're at the center of a, a society, a network like the Cloud Appreciation Society, and everyone's sending you these images from all around the world the whole time, you get this broad sort of view and you can spot a pattern and say, you know, there's another of those weird ones that I don't know what to call. I know there's another one's coming from Australia and there's some from Iowa, you know, and you can then uh, get a view that perhaps wasn't possible in the past. So that is one moment that I thought, well, this is kind of amazing what's come out of this. Um, it's not but for you seeing all these images from this society, this new cloud, <laughs> this cloud is never noticed and doesn't exist. Yeah. And what about for you personally, like on a, on a personal level? Um, yeah. And then, you know, then, then I, I suppose another time I gave a talk, someone came up to me afterwards and he lifted his um, the shirt sleeve and he said, look, and he showed me his tattoo on his arm which had the cloud illustration that we had on our first certificates and it had his membership number underneath. And I thought, wow, that's kind of amazing as well. How come it was so amazing? Because something that you kind of began as this idea, this whimsical idea has now been indelibly tattooed onto someone's skin. That's an interesting transition from, from one thing to something else. <laughs> but um, it was also because I thought my conception of the society and his conception of the society are going to be different. But what's interesting is that his idea of what the society is feels personal enough to him to want to tattoo it on his arm. And also it feels genuine enough for him to want to have it permanently on him. So the fact that he was kind of feeling like in 10 years time, I don't know what the society will be, but I have faith that it'll still be something I'm happy to have on my arm. So I'm going to do it. That made me feel that this has become something interesting, I guess. Beautiful. Love that. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for hopping on the phone with us and letting us interview you today. We really appreciate speaking with you and have a great evening. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks a lot. Gavin, what a man. Thank you, Gavin. Gavin, thank you for talking with us. Thank you for staying up late in England to hop on the phone with us here in New York. Appreciate you. That was so fun. Yes. Guys, uh, I personally just became Cloud Appreciation Society member 46,000 
XXX. So yes. I'm officially XXX. I'm get officially Cloud Appreciation Society member. If you want to do the same, if you want to get on the bandwagon, you can check out what Gavin's up to over at cloudappreciationsociety.org. Or you can buy a patch. You can buy Gavin's book about what clouds look like. There's so much fun stuff on the site. So be sure to check it out. For sure. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, uh, you can visit our website, people-and.com. That's our company, People and Company. Um, or say hi. You know, Send us an email, hi at people-and.com. People and. People and Company. People right. and Company. That's us. Guys, thanks for spending your time with us. Yeah, thanks we'll for listening. See you next time. More to come. Bye.